the Catskills in Northeast Pennsylvania. Good evening and welcome to the local edition. News and information keeping you connected in the Catskills, Northeast Pennsylvania. I'm Jason Dolt. And tonight we continue with our look back at 2023 as we wind down the year here. We're talking to all of our news partners to get a recap on the year that was. And absolutely one of the biggest stories of the past year, something that we spent some time reporting on here on the local edition and on Radio Catskill during this year is the housing issue. Getting harder to find places for people to stay for a number of reasons. And for our year-end wrap-up, or year-end review with the River Reporter, we have Ruby Rayner, who wants to focus specifically on stories from this year that told the story of where we are at with housing. And it's a good one because as we look forward to 2024, it's going to continue to be an issue to help us go over all of this right now. From the River Reporter, Ruby Rayner joining us on the phone. Ruby, thank you for being here. Thanks, Jason. Couldn't have said it better myself. So, yeah, you know, and I actually just recently went went to a meeting, uh, a, a meeting with a number of people from, you know, like the, the Partnership for Economic Development in Sullivan County, uh, the IDA in Sullivan County, uh, they had uh, Wendy Brown from Planning in Sullivan County, and everybody mentioned housing. Even, and even if like for the partnerships, as usually we don't discuss, uh, housing because it's not really our lane, but this is an issue as we, we had this meeting talking about what's coming up for the year ahead. Housing came up in everybody's presentation at some point, whether they talked about it a little, talked about it a lot. So what story do you think you want to start with to start telling this tale of where we are at with housing on both sides of the river in our listening area? Yeah, I think similar to what you're describing, we at the River Reporter throughout 2023 experienced the same thing. Every time we were covering a story or speaking with an individual in, you know, business or government or any of these, you know, different places, housing just kept coming up as um, a really integral issue that a lot of people are dealing with on both sides of the river in Pennsylvania and in New York, Wayne, Pike, and Sullivan County. So I think similarly, as we're looking back towards our coverage over the year, we are taking note of that and making sure we are summarizing and um, taking out all the important parts of that to move forward through 2024 because it's going to continue to at the forefront of our coverage. So do you want to start with increasing rents or increasing evictions? Yeah, I think the best place to understand all of the different factors that are contributing to the housing crisis that we're seeing is probably starting with um, increasing rents. So across the board, we have seen in both Pennsylvania and in New York specifically in Pike and Wayne County and Sullivan County increases to the cost of rent. Um, just to give some like top line context, um, nearly three in four New Yorkers believe housing affordability is a major problem. Um, and that was according to a statewide survey by the Rural Housing Coalition of New York. 
Um, and this is also both rural and in cities. So this is across the country. It's not specific here, but it's definitely um, shown some worser parts of the housing that are... You're listening to the Local Edition, winner of Excellence in Broadcasting Awards from the New York State Broadcasters Association. Radio Catskill. Listen local. Kind of dealt with in a number of ways throughout the year. Um, You know, we had a fairly mild winter, but that led to all types of environmental effects um, and ecological effects into the spring. Of course, the summer was sort of defined by poor air quality all throughout upstate New York and, and down into New York City, of course. Um, and we've had a couple of extreme floods that have killed, uh, by our tabulations anyway, two people in the Hudson Valley um, and about a dozen others um, in the broader sort of n- Northeast New England, like, uh, region, including a couple of, uh, upstate New York residents. Like there was, you know, we did a story earlier this year about a Rhinebeck resident who was through hiking the Appalachian trail who died in Vermont during rainstorms over the summer. Um, and the storms that, you know, just happened last week, uh, killed one person, one, one woman up in Catskill, but, for other people in Vermont and Massachusetts. So um, that's, that's, I think, probably the what's top of mind for me right now. Yeah, and there's, you know, also so much damage to it, too. And, and I'll say, as I look back on the past year, one of the big things the past year is that uh, we really started checking in, in with you on a regular basis. So when this the torrential rains in Hudson Valley, ha- you know, killed those people and caused all that havoc to, you know, rail and roads. It was great to have you to talk to pretty quickly uh, after that to let us know exactly what happened. But that was one of the things that was amazing to me was just thinking, you know, you're talking about the Hudson Valley area, uh, you know, uh, Westchester County, uh, places like that. Like those are, there are so many people just trying to get in and out of the city and just the dis- destruction to infrastructure uh, that that caused. I was like, wait, this is a major disruption for folks yeah yeah i mean i think the most notable one of those was um that landslide that happened uh, during a different storm in october um that sent i think it was 900 tons of debris uh out of the backyard onto the tracks that the metro north and amtrak used and that closed down those those lines for a couple of days um and you know, we had a we had a story about that just a couple of weeks ago. Sort of looking back at what happened there, um, that story in that story, our reporter talked to um, a, a geologist with the state's geological survey mapping program. Uh, his team tracks something like 200 landslides a year, and he says that um, they've noticed essentially like an increase. Um, he, he told us that we're getting to the point where we're going to be, see, be seeing far more of these landslide events around the state because we're coming into it, what he called a new equilibrium. You know, that equilibrium is basically a wetter, hotter region. Uh, and so I, I think that's a thing that's only going to continue getting worse. And of course, we, you know, we had widespread road closures uh, several times throughout the summer and fall 
as recently as last week with those storms. Um, and that's something that is, is not going to get better anytime soon. Another weather-related story, and you might not have an actual like story about this to refer to, but I did just want to bring it up, was uh, the wildfire smoke and how much that impacted large sections of New York State. And I don't know what it was like where you were or what your reaction was, but it was pretty shocking here, uh, talking about client, uh, changing weather patterns. Like, it was pretty shocking for me to all of a sudden, instead of just doing uh, in the winter you know, storm warnings and in the summer, uh, rainstorm, thunderstorm warnings and watches. All of a sudden I'm giving air quality index updates as, you know, the sun dims and the air turns orange. Talking about, you know, changing realities in terms of our weather here. What, what, what was your reaction to what was it like where you were? Yeah. I mean, I think we all got used to figuring out what the air quality index was and what's a good number and what's a bad number. Right. Um, here in Kingston, we're on that. It was it was not good. <laughs> uh, I can remember several days where the AQI was in the 160s, 170s, 180s. You know, orange skies. We had a story over the summer um, where one of, some of our data reporters were looking back at the at, at the historical air quality data, and they determined that this year the air quality was the worst since at least 2002 when sort of incidentally, Canadian wildfires were also to blame. Um, the Times Union has been kind of investing in a lot of real-time weather and data tools. So we have a live precipitation map that's, that tracks um, rainfall and snowfall, another precip uh, that's active and over a 24-hour period for the whole state. And that's a partnership that we have with New York State Mendonet, which has meteorological stations in every county. We also, I think this launched just this year, good timing. Um, we have a, a live air quality map as well um, that just that shows what the air quality is like near you. Um, I think you're right to sort of ask the question of like what it was like by me, because one of the things I was interested in this, this summer, and we ended up doing a story about this, is the difficulty in hyperlocal air quality monitoring in this region specifically because of how mountainous and hilly it is. Um, we live in a valley. And, you know, the, the, there's, like a, there's very few air quality monitoring stations in this region. Um, there's an effort by, uh, by BARD to put more air quality monitoring stations. They're, so they're trying to partner with local libraries throughout the Mid-Hudson Valley to try to get a more granular look at what it's like on like a, you know, city by city or town by town level. Um, we also have a story that kind of looked at what people can do to try to get a picture of what, it, what it's like in and around their own home. There's all kinds of tools and implements you can buy now um, to try to get more of a local picture um, but yeah, I mean, hopefully next year the, we won't have the Canadian wildfires sending smoke down here quite like what happened this summer, but the conditions are only trending in one direction. So if it doesn't happen next year, it's going to happen the year after that. Um, so, you know, unfortunately I think that that's just going to be a new reality, um, at least in some summers. 
Yeah, and we were struggling here. Not struggling, but you know, we were giving the numbers, the air quality index, index, but there had to be a little bit of an interpolation involved because we're kind of in between. There's very few of these reporting stations, and we're in the middle of a big reporting station desert. And like you said, even mm-hmm. even like in your region, a lot of things change just from the highlands to the valley. It's like it's a big difference uh, in mm-hmm. there. So here's hoping for some better reporting on that. Um, but onto a story that definitely, uh, isn't better. I recall, you know, we have you on, on Thursdays and I just, uh, looked up the date here and see that, yeah, on Thursday, September 21st, I remember I well, went to interview you and, and said, okay, well, here, here's the, the stories that, that you wanted to talk about. And you said, you know what? First off, we got to talk about this crash that just happened today. Mm-hmm. That was a day of that really bad bus crash. You want to remind folks about that? Yeah. So this was on, um, Oh, I guess, the, what was this? September 21st, yeah? Um, yeah, a, a charter bus coming from Long Island driving to Pennsylvania carrying um, high school students to a, to a band event um, crashed off of Interstate 84. Um, and it injured several dozen students and ended up killing two people, um, two adults, Um who were, who were on the bus as sort of like chaperones and the band director. Um, so that was, you know, kind of a national story on the, on the day that happened. Um, and it's something we, we, you know, followed in, in the weeks after that. Um, it, you know, we, we, we learned the identity of the people who died, I think either later that day or the following day <clears throat> at a news conference at state police headquarters and then I reported um, a week or two later, I think it was, that the bus operator, Regency Transportation Limited, um, was on the State Department of Transportation's list of quote-unquote unacceptable operators because it had failed five of its 15 semiannual inspections over the past year. And if you, if you fail more than a quarter of those inspections, you go on the unacceptable operator list. That doesn't mean you can't operate, of course. And the buses that failed the inspections are taken out of rotation. But um, that had not been previously reported, and that is public information. And so I I felt like it was important to put that out there, if only to alert people to the existence of this list um, so they could check, uh, (laughs) you know, they could could check it when when booking, uh, when chartering buses, in the future. Right. Right. And is there any, any further things that are still to come uh, from this that, that, that you're waiting for in terms of investigations or or repercussions? Yeah. So the, after the bus crash, pretty much much what happens here is um, the state department of transportation will open its own investigation. And if it's it's a big enough crash or a notable enough crash, uh, oftentimes the National Transportation Safety Board will get involved. Now, what I've been told is that the National Transportation Safety Board investigation is really the one to go with. Um, the Skahari limo crash from a few years ago, the Department of Transportation did their own investigation, came out with it before the National Transportation Safety Board investigation, and they got a lot of things wrong. And so I think the Department of Transportation now kind of waits <laughs> to see what the NTSB does. Um, the NTSB 
has released its preliminary report. They did that in October, uh, about a month after the crash. But we're still waiting for the full report. And the reason I'm waiting for that is because the preliminary report doesn't actually identify a cause yet. Um, in the immediate aftermath, there was speculation that there was some kind of tire issue. And what the preliminary report does reveal, which had not been previously reported, is that the bus was traveling in the right lane and crossed all the way over um, before careening through the barricade on the left side of the highway and then tumbling down in the embankment. It's a divided highway there. So uh, that's kind of what made the crash so bad. Um, so that suggests that some some kind of destabilizing event happened um, if the bus is crashing, is, is, is careening over from the right lane to the left lane. But we still don't actually have a definitive cause of this crash. And that's something I'm certainly waiting to see. Wow. Still waiting for that. Um, well, what we're going to do right now is we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we'll, we'll continue our conversation. We're taking a look back at the year that was 2023 with Philip Pantuso of the Times Union. Stay with us. You're listening to The Local Edition, winner of Excellence in Broadcasting Awards from the New York State Broadcasters Association. Radio Catskill. Listen local. NPR and this station are supported by the communities we serve. In return, our journalism is available to everyone free of charge. Keep this public service strong. Donate today. Please donate at WJFFradio.org. Thank you. Welcome back to the local edition. Keeping you connected, I'm your host, Jason Dole, and I'm talking with Phil Pantuso, Managing Editor, Times Union's Hudson Valley Bureau, and we're talking about 2023, part of our ongoing series of wrap-ups here. Uh, Philip, let's talk about infrastructure and demographics and things like that. Yeah, yeah. Um, we actually, we just got new census data um, just this month um, looking at the most recent one-year period ending July 1st. And New York lost in that period uh, about 101,000 residents, which is which is the most in the country, and it's the third year in a row that the state of New York has led the country in population loss. So that it doesn't seem to be getting any better, unfortunately. Um, you know what that looks like locally is a bit more complicated. So we. We wrote, um, we wrote a story about a report that came out from this organization called Hudson Valley Pattern for Progress, which is a think tank that does, that analyzes demographic trends and, and other data in the Mid-Hudson region. And they had a big report that came out in the middle of this year um, that they called The Great People Shortage and Its Effects on the Hudson Valley. And they identified a number of sort of consequences of what they uh, of what they sort of de defined as the these demographic and migrational trends in the region um, well the two main causes they say are declining birth rate and the out migration of residents um, apparently the number of live births in the Hudson Valley has declined by 10 percent since 1997 um, and that decline would be a lot bigger if not for some of the Orthodox communities that have moved to Rockland, Orange, and Sullivan counties, their numbers have grown in recent years, 
And typically, Orthodox families have uh, significantly more children than uh, than the rest of the population here in the Hudson Valley, anyway. Um, you know, in some of these counties, the decline is like is really really stark. So in Putnam County, there's a 35 percent decline between 20, nine, or nine, 1997 and 2019. In Greene County, there was almost 27 percent decline in live birth rates. Um, and the other kind of main factor here is out-migration. So every year since, since 2019 through 2021, which was the last year that Patent for Progress had data for, um, more people have moved out of the Hudson Valley as a whole than have moved in, except for 2020, when, of course, uh, a bunch of people moved here, um, many of them temporarily from places like New York City. Uh, that has led to fewer workers, um, particularly young workers. Um, it's led to it's led to a lot of labor struggles for the hospitality industry, which has otherwise been booming here. Um, and it's had uh, a, a major impact on the region's schools. So uh, that report found that there are 34,000 fewer students today than in the early 2000s enrolled in schools in the Hudson Valley. Um, and this is something that we've been trying to track a little bit and something I want to do more coverage of in 2024. But, you know, just anecdotally, we hear all kinds of, uh, we, hear, we hear all kinds of stuff from school districts that are struggling to keep their schools open. And, and there were two schools that in, um, in the Antiora school district that said that they were going to close in the coming years. Um, due to the climbing enrollment, and there are a number of others that are facing that same challenge. I've often heard when it comes to people leaving New York State, people that aren't a fan of taxes, and that that's a big part of their political beliefs. We say, well, it's New York taxes that are doing it. But given the year that we just had, the fact that a big story of the year, especially in our region, is just the housing issues, it, it seems like cost of living and availability of housing must be part of this. I know you're looking at the numbers, but have you heard anything that indicates what the causes are of these numbers? Well, there were the ones I mentioned about declining birth rate. You know, cost of living is is going up kind of everywhere um, in New York. Uh, it's hard to say if that's specifically a Hudson Valley problem. Certainly, the housing issue is, if not uniquely a Hudson Valley problem, um, particularly acute in this region. Um, you know, even though there has been a net population decline, over the last couple of decades, um, you have had more wealthy residents move to this area. And a challenge that developers and city planners are having kind of across the region is that almost entirely the region is zoned for single-family housing. They're finding it quite difficult to build um, mixed-use and kind of multifamily housing in, in many places. That's why Kingston instituted this big zoning reform that I talked about on the show a couple of months ago. And that's why Kathy Hochul was trying to get uh, something like 800,000 houses built over the next decade uh, as part of her uh, budget proposal at the beginning of the year. You know, she, you mentioned this a few minutes ago, but during her state of the state, she really cast her desire to build more housing 
as a potential solution to this population decline. Because I, I think she's rightly identified that one of the reasons people are leaving New York, I mean, people say this in surveys all the time, is that it's just so expensive here. And that's partly taxes. That's partly um, just uh, just like life expenses. But it's also it's also the availability of housing. You know, I, I bought a house this year and it's not a fun experience trying to find something that's both affordable um, and close to where you want to live, um, you know, in the community that you've already formed. Um, that, that housing plan, which, which she called her housing compact, that, that got sunk in the budget negotiations. It faced a lot of pushback from, uh, from suburban representatives and from lobbying groups, particularly uh, the real estate industry and landlords. Um, and just, I think, earlier this month or maybe last month, she sort of fully abandoned it. She said she's not going to bring it back up in, in 2024. Um, and, you know, I've talked on the show when I've been on for the local edition several times about efforts that municipalities are making kind of around the edges. And these, these are all good efforts. You know, I, I mentioned Kingston's zoning reform, um, Newburgh just opted into the Emergency Tenant Protection Act, which will allow it to stabilize rents in some of its bigger rental buildings. Kingston did that a couple of years ago. Other cities are looking at rent stabilization. Cities are looking at controlling vacation rentals and um, incentivizing more mixed-use development and uh, putting in what's called good cause eviction laws, which will make it much more difficult for landlords to turn over uh, their units year over year and raise the prices. Those are all good kind of solutions, but none of them is like a systemic solution. And, you know, we'll, we'll, I guess we'll see what 2024 brings. I know that there are a lot of legislators in Albany who have ideas about what the state can do, but certainly I think the state needs to do something more because there needs to be something coming down from the top uh, to try to address what's becoming like a, a really big issue. Yeah, and I'll point out to folks too, and, and remind listener uh, that we uh, we the Times Union and Radio Catskill partnered on a story. We had uh, Phoebe Taylor Wolo do an in depth report on housing issues in Sullivan County, focusing on evictions. And what she found is that Sullivan County is experiencing some of the highest eviction rates in uh, upstate New York. Now she went on a ride along with uh one of the the local folks who distribute meals to people uh Marty Calavito. Now I just had him on on air just 2 weeks ago and basically he was talking about what he's seeing on the ground just as he did in that report in the summer. Uh but what he came back to was a lot what it, like what you're saying there which is we can ask like okay how what do you do about housing what do you do about evictions and those are complicated enough but the other issues that are going on are uh, substance abuse issues mental health issues that aren't being addressed and those uh all overlap he's saying and points to larger systemic issues that need to be addressed you're looking at this as that that's the level at which the state really needs to step up and get involved yeah, I mean, that's, that's just my opinion, I think. Um, but there's only so much that, uh, there's only so much that municipalities can do, right? Um, particularly when the issue is a, a regional or even like a statewide issue. 
I just uh, and and again, I feel like here at the end of the year, I'm hearing a number of things about housing, which again we've been looking at for a while here. It seems like more people are looking at it, and more officials, at least on the local level, are digging into this and and making it a priority for the coming year. We have in Sullivan County a change of the of the legislature, new legislature coming in at the start of the year, and uh, I was just at a meeting two weeks ago where uh, Mark Baez, the the CEO of the Sullivan County. Partnership for Economic Development basically said, like, you know, this is one of the things we're going to be looking at is the housing issue and straight up said, even though we don't usually look at this because it's not our lane, like economic development people don't usually look at housing, but it's become so bad they have to because part of their whole deal for economic development is bringing in businesses to create jobs. And they're at the point now where they can't entice businesses to come into the area to create jobs when it's going to be that hard for workers, you know, moderate income workers to find housing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you've seen a lot of these economic development corporations um sort of get into the mixed-use development business and, and figure out how they can incentivize uh, developers to include some amount of affordable housing in the projects that they're bringing to, to their county or their city. Um, you know, that's, that's, one of these, that's one of these several sort of patchwork uh, solutions that I think get some way to uh, an overall solution. Um, but, you know, whether, whether it's enough, you know, I guess just remains to be seen. It certainly doesn't seem like it's enough so far. Yeah. I guess uh, when I'm trying to look at this at the positive end, I'm like, well, at least these folks are talking about it now. But that's a big question. Is is this going to be enough? Because it really feels like everybody's playing catch up on this issue. And in the meantime, mm-hmm. people are being evicted. It's it's pretty grim. Uh, Philip, I want to thank you so much for going over all these stories with us here at the end of the year, not just because we're looking backwards, but because we are looking forward to the next year. And I'm sure we're going to hear a lot more about a lot of these issues in the coming year. It's been great to be with you every week, and I look forward to, to more of the same in 2024. All right. Thanks so much. And, and uh, you know, Happy New Year. You too.